verses 1 through 12. If you could stand for the reading of God's word. Okay. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does eat, who does not eat everything, must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God and, whoops, I messed up. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Interesting passage of scripture. Um, Paul is talking about, and he mentions it early on um, in verse 1. He's dealing with what he calls disputable matters. Some might see this as a disputable sermon. I don't know. After we're done. I've entitled it, It's Not Your Call. Do you remember... uh, Do you remember the NFL had this thing that they do for a while called You Make the Call? And they would show some play that was maybe controversial and the referees had called it one way and and maybe, um, you know, people watching, especially their favorite team, thought, well, that's they missed that one. And so they would play that and they'd say, you make the call. And, you know, people would see that thing differently. We... Oftentimes, um, if it was our team that the call went against, we would think the call was wrong. If you were the guys on the other side, you probably thought it was a good call. And So there are differences of opinion about those things. And Paul is talking in this passage of Scripture about things 
that people see differently. People see differently. You know, one of the images of the church is that of a ship traveling on the stormy seas of life and time. Listen to how Max Lucado describes Christian in it, Christians in his book, The Grip of Grace. And he, he kind of uses this imagery of the church as a ship. He says, though different, we are the same. Each can tell of a personal account with the captain, for each has received a personal call. We each followed him across the gangplank of his grace onto the same boat. There's one captain and one destination. And we will make it, for the ship is safe under the navigating care of the captain, our Lord. For that, there is no concern. But there is concern about the disharmony of the crew. As we wander the decks, we find others wearing uniforms we've never seen. The variety of dress is not nearly so disturbing as the plethora of opinions. There is a group, for example, who clusters every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions. It's no coincidence that they tend to congregate around the stern. There is another group deeply devoted to prayer. Not only do they believe in prayer, they believe in prayer by kneeling. For that reason, you can find them at, you guessed it, the bow. And then there are a few who staunchly argue that only real wine can be used for at communion. They're on the port side, of course. How we cluster. Still another group is in the engine room. They spend hours examining the nuts and bolts of the ship. They've been known to go below deck and not come up for days. They are criticized by those who linger on the top deck, feeling the wind in their hair and the sun on their face. It's not what you learn, those on the top side argue. It's what you feel that matters. Oh, how we cluster. All agree on the importance of the weekly meeting where the captain is sanct and his words are read. But someone at loud... Others want it quiet. Some want ritual. Others want spontaneity. Some want a meeting for those who are overboard. Others want to reach those who are overboard, but without going overboard and neglecting those on board. The result is a rocky ship. Even fighting. Sailors refusing to speak to each other. Not even acknowledging that others are on the ship. And most tragically, some adrift at sea, having chosen not to board the, the boat because of the quarreling of the sailors. Mm. There was a artist back, a, a secular song artist back in the 70s, who sang a song called "We Just Disagree." And I would admit that he didn't write this about the church. But the lyrics really fit. And he said this, So let's leave it alone because we can't see eye to eye. There ain't no good guy. There ain't no bad guy. There's only you and me. And we just disagree. Somebody knows that song. 
sweating the small stuff. It's an age-old problem. Paul's introducing us to two distinct groups of people in the church at Rome. The weak and the strong, or as one pastor refers to them, the weak and the weaker. One faction followed a strict diet and felt that some days were more spiritual than others. The other group had just one big hang-up. The first group, the other group. They felt they could wolf down ribeyes and worship on any day they wanted. A weak believer is one who hasn't fully grasped the extent of his or her freedom in Christ and whose conscience is therefore bothered by lifestyle choices are preferences that don't really matter in the long run. In this group were Jewish Christians who refrained from certain foods and observed certain days in their attempt to remain loyal to Mosaic law. A strong brother on the other, or sister on the other hand is one who, who can exercise his freedom in Christ with a clear conscience. Most of us struggle with two tendencies. We love to compare and we love to control others. We can easily fall into thinking that the way we do things or our interpretation is correct and those who differ from us must obviously be wrong. Some of us go out of our way to try to control how other believers think and behave, secretly judging them according to our spiritual standards. I'm reminded of a relationship between two of England's greatest preachers, Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. They were good friends until they had a disagreement. Spurgeon accused his buddy of being unspiritual because he went to the theater. Parker pointed out that Spurgeon was suspect because he loved to smoke cigars. Unfortunately, all of this hit the newspapers and discredited the cause of Christ. So, disputable matters versus indisputable matters. See, Paul is addressing here matters or issues that the scriptures, the scripture is, excuse me, is not addressing matters that the scripture is clear about. Paul is not addressing matters that the scripture is clear about. So those things then come into dispute. And the the phrase, the key phrase here is disputable matters. We have different opinions about these things. The the word refers to that which is debatable or doubtful. It's those gray areas... Of, our, of, of Christian life. And there are really three areas specified in Scripture. Things that are right, things that are wrong, and issues of freedom and preference. A disputable matter is an honest difference of opinion between Bible-believing Christians on how best to apply a biblical principle. So we're not talking about the Ten Commandments here. Those are not up for interpretation or debate. We're talking about things that the Scripture does not say directly, this is right or this is wrong. 
So what were the issues facing the Roman church? Well, a a Jew-Gentile mix resulted in differences of opinion regarding Christian practice in some areas. Which was not unusual. It wasn't unusual in the, in the churches of the New Testament to have this Jewish-Gentile mix. In, in, in 49 AD, about 15 years after Jesus rose from the grave, the Roman Emperor Claudius kicked all the Jewish people out of the city of Rome. Both Jewish Christians and Jewish non-Christians alike. We know this from the, from the Roman historian Suetonius. With all the Jewish Christians kicked out, the church in Rome took on a distinctively non-Jewish turn, with the people coming to Christ all being non-Jewish and therefore having no problem with eating non-kosher food and worshiping on different days of the week. After several years, Claudius died and the Jews were permitted to return to Rome. However, the church the Jewish Christians found in Rome was very different from the one they'd left. Because now it was filled with mostly non-Jewish Christians. So much of what Paul writes in Romans has been to bring these groups together, to help them love and appreciate each other despite their differences. The Old Testament law nowhere forbids Jewish people from eating all meat. It forbids eating certain kinds of meat, like pork, but it allows other meat, like chicken and beef. But even the meat Jews were permitted to eat could only be eaten if it was prepared in a certain manner. So even permitted meat wasn't kosher unless it was slaughtered according to Old Testament rituals. And historians suggest that it's likely that when the Jews were kicked out of Rome, all the Jewish slaughterhouses were closed. So when the Jews eventually returned to Rome, they had no way of obtaining meat that met the requirements of the laws of Moses. So the logical thing for many of them would, to be, would be to abstain from meat altogether if they couldn't be sure that it was prepared or slaughtered appropriately. Much like the prophet Daniel did in the Old Testament when he chose a diet of only vegetables and water because even the permitted meat wasn't prepared or the meat that would have been served to him and his compatriots wasn't prepared according to Old Testament rituals, and thus wasn't truly kosher. We also learn later in the chapter that these Jewish Christians also wanted, and I'm speaking again of this passage in Romans, these Jewish Christians also wanted to keep celebrating the Jewish Sabbath and festivals. And so here's what Paul had to say about these matters, looking at some other passages in the New Testament that, where he addressed these matters. Colossians 2.16 Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. 
Then in Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So that's kind of a picture of what was going on in Rome and why Paul wrote these things that he did. But we have our own disputable matters, don't we? The issues are different, but our views still clash on the non-essentials. The issues are different, but our views still clash on the non-essentials. We can look at the, the issues Paul addresses and think, well, what's the big deal? And it's easy for us to do when it comes to eating meat or abstaining from it because it's far removed from our culture and situation. But, but let me bring it closer to home. <laughs> this is where it gets a little scary. We need to avoid passing judgment in some of the disputable matters or taboo topics today. Kind of interesting that we've just in Wednesday night been talking about charitable discourse and how we deal with some of these disputable matters. So here's something that's obvious, but I'm going to say it. Christians often disagree with each other on these issues. We know that. And here's a limited list of issues that believers disagree on today. And some of these may be non-starters for you. And others might cause you some indigestion. But the principle still stands. We're called to accept one another even when we disagree about disputable matters. So, disputable matter number one. Music styles. Piano and organ only. Well, I like guitars and drums. Not me. I don't think you should have instruments at all in church. All those opinions are out there, folks. Media choices. Is it okay to go to the theater? Could I watch the same movie at home? Sports on Sunday. Is it okay to watch sports on Sunday? How about playing sports on Sunday? Or how about things that aren't sports but recreations? Boating, fishing, hiking. Can you do those on Sunday? Anybody ever remember uh, Jerry Jeff Walker? He sang a song that went like this. Some people say that fishing on Sunday is a sin. But if I get a fish on my line on Sunday, I'm going to reel him on in. <laughs> Dress. Interesting. The guy I uh, followed in Tillamook told me, you don't need to wear a tie at Tillamook. That's not the culture here. Besides, 
Ties cause neck cancer. <laughs> he said, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, our denominational view of ties over the years. There's a point where it was considered pretentious to wear a tie. Then it became uh, important to wear a tie. And now it's kind of anything goes, isn't it? Uh, how about um, shorts or tank tops? Um, we had a friend we went to college with who went to the Midwest to... He was a, a music minister and um, he was out mowing his lawn one Saturday and he had on, you know, Levi Dockers and somebody saw him mowing the lawn in his Dockers. That was a problem. They went and told the pastor on him. Wedding rings. There was a time when pastors weren't supposed to wear them. Bible versions. My dad was a dyed-in-the-wool King James guy. He loved the King James Version. Um, when my dad passed, my, my stepmom sent me my dad's Bibles. He wore them out. I'm not kidding you. They were held together with tape and gum and glue and... Um, but they were all King James Version. Um, all right. I learned a lot of Scripture in the King James Version, but I was also glad when the Living Bible came out. And we have a bunch. You've got your choice. Like, you know, I know we've got some King James Version people in here. I know we have at least one English Standard Version guy in here. Um, I love the NIV, but I'm, lot, lots of times when I'm studying for a message, I'll look at a passage of Scripture in several different versions. You know, I like to look at the NLT and the NESB and the, and the ESV and the Co Common English Bible, and, and you know, I just and I appreciate those versions. But I have, I have some that I tend to gravitate toward. And then there are the paraphrases, like the message. Well, the Living Bible was a paraphrase, actually. And the Phillips. But we have differences of opinion, don't we? How about expressiveness in worship? Those wild and crazy folks that raise their hands and stuff like that. Um, by the way, you know, some of us are pretty settled on these things. Some of this is part of, of what we have um, made decisions about as a denomination, and it's in our code of conduct. And we're good with these things. And the debate may not be, although there is some of that debate within our congregation, the debate may be between us and brothers and sisters who are part of another tradition. Uh, I was telling uh, Wednesday night when it comes to the uh, the uh, issue of consumption of alcohol, um, I had a, uh, a pastor friend. Um, we were part of a group that met regularly on the coast 
who um, enjoyed a good craft beer. And he was a godly, one of the godliest men I know. I could not go there. Okay? I could not go there. First of all, it's part of where we stand as a denomination. We're, but, um, and so my personal conviction is I cannot go there. But it's one of those things that's, it's, that's a disputable matter. And we talked about it on Wednesday night. I think, was it alcohol? We did just this last Wednesday night. I really believe in the stand that the Church of the Nazarene takes on that issue. I think when you consider what's happened in our world and how we were founded by Phineas Brzee in downtown Los Angeles and the homelessness and, and, um, and the, the ripple effects that he saw drunkenness had, I think the stand that the Church of Nazarene takes is a great one. And I know that um, one of the, one of the uh, standards we had, certainly um, we had a, on the coast, we had a, a celebrate recovery. Uh, we were kind of a mixed group. Um, we had people not only from our church, but from other denominations who were part of our Celebrate Recovery leadership team. But it was at our place. And we kind of set down the rules. And we said one of the things is, if you're a part of the leadership team of Celebrate Recovery, you will not consume alcohol. It doesn't matter what denominational tradition you come from, because... Um, so many people that you're working with struggle with that issue. And, um, you know, so often instead of looking to Jesus, we look to others. And it would just take one time of someone who's struggling with that to see you going home with a six-pack to be all it takes to torpedo them in their efforts to be clean and sober. So we won't go there. But it's a divisive issue. It's a divisive issue. Could you play with face cards? I know we couldn't when I was growing up. Uh, I, I could play with uh, Old Maid and Rook. A lot, a lot of late nights playing Rook. And folks, uh, let me tell you something about this. Um, we need to think about personal conviction regarding scriptural command here. Alright? We, the scripture may not be clear on some of these things, but God has given us a personal conviction about these things. I, I, I tried to find this little booklet. Somebody gave me a booklet years ago, and the title was, Others Can, But I Cannot. And it's about the fact that God may allow you a freedom in this area, but God has told me no. And that's okay. And we need to understand that. You know, um, you can't completely knock the, Christian, uh, the Jewish Christian believers here and say, well, man alive, there are things about dietary restrictions and... You know, they, they grown up under this system of tradition. And for them, these were convictions that they lived by. The problem was that they wanted to force those on others too. 
All right? That's where, that's where the rub came here, and, and that's why Paul is addressing these issues. And folks, honestly, a lot of this stuff comes from our denominational views, where our denomination stands on these things. Cultural expectations. I, my early years were in the South. And I'll just confess to you, Sunday was my least favorite day of the week as a kid. You know why? I love church and I love Sunday school, but I didn't like the rest of the day. Because I couldn't go outside to play and you didn't turn on the TV and you didn't read anything but the Sunday school paper. And for me as a kid, it was... I I didn't like it. We moved to Idaho. That all changed. It was a cultural expectation that we had. A little more legalistic view of how you honored the Sabbath. That view wasn't held as strictly in Idaho. So I could go outside and play on Sunday afternoon before we went back to church on Sunday evening. Do you see what I'm saying? And I'm not knocking what they did in Florida where I was raised as a kid. They had... A lot of people had... Very personal convictions about those things. That's how they honored God. And we, you know, we see some of those cultural differences even today, don't we? We talked about the Bible Belt as compared to the wild and crazy people out on the West Coast. All part of the Nazarene denomination. So what's faith got to do with it then? The strength of our faith determines our freedom in these matters. That's what Paul's telling him. And again, we have to weave our convictions in here. How we listen to God and what He's telling us personally in regard to these things. There were two basic groups in the, Ro- in the Roman churches. Paul characterizes those as, as weak in faith and those as strong in faith. And just by phrasing it that way, Paul obviously viewed being strong in faith as preferable. He wants us to be strong in faith. And he counts himself as part of those who are strong in faith. And if you read in other places in the New Testament where Paul addresses some of these very same issues, you know that Paul could eat meat, even meat offered to idols, and be fine with it. Because an idol was nothing to him. All right? You remember that, don't you? So, he, he considered himself part of those who are strong in faith. Here we find, in this passage, those that are weak in faith are genuine Christians whose faith is fragile in the sense that it doesn't provide them the assurance or confidence to do certain things that maybe others have an assurance and confidence to do. Their faith in Christ is real, but there's a weakness and assurance that doesn't permit them to do certain things that other Christians seem to have the freedom to do. And, and Paul says, Christians who are not bound by those things were described as strong in faith. Now, to the strong in faith, 
Paul commands them in in verse 3 not to look down on those who are weak. And the verb he uses here means to despise. To look down on means to despise a person. To to treat someone as worthless or as having no value. It's a pretty strong term. There's a strong note of contempt. In other words, if I'm strong in faith and and I'm looking down on you... There's a, uh, the, Paul's saying that it's, it's, he's weaving into this the idea of I'm looking at you contemptuously. Because the strong in faith would be tempted to treat the weak in faith with a mocking, contemptuous attitude. Kind of, what's wrong with you, you big baby? Kind of a, that, That's kind of the attitude we're talking here. And, in verse 3, Paul commands the weak in faith not to condemn the strong. To condemn here means to judge the behavior of the strong as unacceptable to God. In this case, the, the, in this case, the behavior of eating meat that's not kosher and not observing the same Sabbaths as the Jews did. Christians weak in faith would be tempted to view the behavior of the strong as unacceptable to God. And boy, that was a conflict that went on and Paul addressed often in the New Testament church because of the way that Gentile believers and Jewish believers viewed what it meant to live before God in a way that was acceptable and holy. So Paul is saying here, The weak have to accept the strong and the strong have to accept the weak. And in fact, the word accept here that's used in verse 3 is the same as the word that's used in verse 1. If God has welcomed the strong into a relationship without insisting that they follow the Jewish dietary laws and observe the Sabbath, then the weak should welcome them too, and vice versa. 1 Corinthians 8.8 Again, Paul addressing these same kind of issues. But food does not bring us near to God. If We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. There is the qualifier, isn't it? Right there. Here's where the strong have to be careful. You cannot flaunt your freedom. You can't flaunt your freedom. Paul said at one point, listen, if eating meat has a negative impact on a weaker Christian, then I'll remove meat from my diet altogether if that's what I need to do for your sake. We talk about freedom in Christ, and I've mentioned this before. Freedom in Christ is kind of a two-faceted thing. There is the freedom to. I have freedom to eat meat. I have freedom to worship on some, day be- on some days besides Sunday. Whatever it may be. Or the list goes on and on. I have freedom to raise my hand and worship and jump around a little. All right? Alright? 
where we have to be cautious is, is here. If my freedom impacts a brother or sister in Christ in a negative way, if it, if it tempts them to do things that their personal quick convictions say they shouldn't do, and I know that, then I need to rein in my... I need to say, for your betterment, for your sake, I won't do that. That's the other side of the freedom coin. I am free to do. I'm also free not to do. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm just... I'm, a, I'm free either way. And listen, if, if it's a not to do, that's fine. I won't, you know, I won't pout and stomp my feet and say, you big baby, I wish I didn't have to do this for you. You know what I'm saying? I'm free not to. It's okay either way. Get the point? Listen, and by the way, it's not always the weak who cannot. Sometimes the strong are called of God to limit their freedoms in ways that others who are strong do not. We talked about the Nazarite vow on, on Wednesday night. Remember the Nazarites? Uh, Samson was a Nazarite. Couldn't cut your hair? What's wrong with you, buddy? How come you've got long hair? Um, nothing to do with the grape. They couldn't drink wine or eat grapes or even eat raisins. And there were some other restrictions there. So what some people might say, you're weak in faith. No, they're probably strong in faith, but God had told them, these are things you cannot do. So it's not always the weak who cannot. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, whatever our stance, we must be gracious toward and considerate of others who have different views of things than we do. For those who are stronger and have freedom that others do not, we must remember that there are two facets to freedom. And if my freedom has a negative impact on you, maybe I need to rein that in. I'm free not to as well. Freedom to do and freedom not to do for the sake of others. And listen, if we struggle in those areas that some people have freedom in, we need to be careful about our judgmentalism of them, don't we? Disputable matters. We deal with them all the time. They're still part of Jesus' church today. How do we handle those things? We'll tell a lot to a watching world about who we are. Amen? Father, thank you uh, for... I mean, Paul wrote about a touchy subject here. It's still a touchy subject. It may not be about meat so much or even Jewish celebration days or anything like that, but we still have our disputable matters. We probably all know Christian brothers and sisters in Christ in other denominations who do things that we do not have the freedom to do. And they may be looking at us and saying, what's wrong with you guys? How come you can't do that? But Father, we're still part of the one body that is Jesus Christ. And we need to be able to handle these issues with grace. The strong giving grace to the weaker and the weak giving grace to the stronger. 
so that we don't allow these things to become divisive, divisive and damage the reputation of Jesus and His people. And we are His people. And we bear His name. So Father, help us to stand strong on what we believe, on our personal convictions. But Father, help us to extend grace to those who don't believe exactly the same way we do about some of these things. And I thank you for the stands we take in our denomination. And I thank you that people have convictions. And I thank you, Father, that you have called us to be Christ followers, whatever those convictions may be. And so may your blessing rest upon us. May we be faithful to what to your call in our lives, whether we have some freedoms that others do not or are held back by some convictions that you have personally given us as your people. Thank you, Father, again for the truth of your word to, to us today. We ask that you'd help us to walk in holiness and faithfulness before you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you for being here today. Um, we're going to take a minute.